You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for... um, the freedom that we have to worship uh, you, to carry a Bible and read it and uh, preach your word and share it with others. Uh, Thank you, God. It is a blessing that we don't want to take for granted. And I pray today that you would move us, that your spirit will lead us, that your word would uh, penetrate our hearts, our minds, our souls, and bring about change, conviction, but also comfort and peace through the gospel. Thank you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Um, As a part of our worship, we also would like to encourage our members to give, and I am referring to financial giving. Giving is an opportunity we have to respond to the gospel in a tangible way. We don't give because we have to give. It, is, it doesn't make you a better Christian. To give is just a response that God puts in our hearts uh, in understanding that he gave his son for us. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the reason why we give back to God a small portion of all the blessings he gives us because we recognize that he provides for all of us. This is also a time for us to pray for needs. So if anyone is willing to share a need, I would love to pray for your need right now. If, uh, if you don't uh, want to share your need and you just want to raise your hand, that's another way that we know you have a need and we'll just pray over. Um, is anyone has a need that needs prayer? That's a big, big question. Okay. And um, please remind me of your names. Alexis and Sean. Okay. I will will pray for you. Anyone else has a prayer request? Ibrahim. Ibrahim uh, cracked his head open last two weeks ago. So he's asking for prayers so that his head can heal faster. Anyone else? If you don't want to share it, it's absolutely fine. And uh, one of the ways we do this is by raising your hand in, in, as a sign that you have a need, and I'll pray over you. Um, so let me go ahead and pray for all of us. Dear God, we thank you for uh, being good with us. Thank you because you are um, someone who loves us deeply. Thank you because you provide for all of our needs. Uh, and thank you because you see us and love us. And uh, Lord, I pray today that as we recognize your goodness and mercy towards us, we would respond in faith and in generosity towards others, towards your church, so that we as a church will continue to be a blessing to others, not only here in Manassas, but throughout the world. And Lord, I want to pray right now for Alexis and Sean. I pray that you would uh, give them um, just 
wisdom and the uh, discernment on where to live. This is a difficult and important decision, and I pray that you will guide them. I pray that you, you will use uh, different means to show them clearly, without a doubt, the place that you have for them and their family. Thank you, for, uh, because you are good, and you, you already know that, and I pray that you will just make it known to them. Lord, I pray for Abraham. I pray that you will heal his head. Uh, I pray that he will be able to be uh, well and play and enjoy life again without any pain or uh, difficulties. Thank you for Abraham's life and, and, and the fact that he's with us today. Lord, I also want to pray for Gloria, Angel's mom. I pray that you will continue to heal her, continue to be with her. Lord, I pray for uh, Chelsea Salman. I pray for her pain. I pray that you will be with her. I pray that you would uh, put your hand over her and that she will uh, feel better and better and that you will take away this pain. I pray for uh, peace and comfort to the Salman family. And Lord, I finally pray for Francisca and her family as they mourn uh, uh, the loss of Anaï. Uh, their daughter. I pray that you will be with them in the name of Jesus. Uh, we pray for the war in Ukraine, in Palestine. I pray for peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses uh, 12 through 16. It's a small text, <clears throat> and let's go ahead and, and read it together. If you have a Bible, please open it with us. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen, and it reads like this, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Sorry, I just skipped something. So we just come from the disciples being arrested, tried, released. They pray, the Holy Spirit fills them, and Luke tells us that they share everything. They had everything in common, and then uh, uh, Luke tells us again that this is happening after that. So this is, a, this is an in-between moment um, for the, for this for the apostles, they're gonna eventually be arrested again, and and it's gonna uh, become more dramatic. And I, I love the book of Acts because it takes us in all kinds of directions. But let's go ahead and uh, and read Acts chapter five verses twelve through sixteen. And it says, "Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and as they were all together in Solomon's portico, none of the rest there joined them." But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed. Um, as a reminder, Luke is writing to Onesimus in order for him to have a, a stronger faith. That's what Luke chapter 1 tells us. And this account of the church, I believe, uh, ensures that Onesimus understands uh, not only the importance of the church, but also its role, the role of the church in its surrounding community. The church and the society in that moment, in the first century Jerusalem, was under Roman occupation. The Romans came and they occupied their land and they basically took over. So during that time, there was a lot of uh, poverty, 
a lot of uh, corruption. Uh, of course, if you were a Roman, you had privileges that if you were a Jew, you did not have. They, they, they did not get along. They did not like each other. They sort of learned how to survive and live with each other in a very uh, hostile way. So there was a lot of things happening in the church. In fact, uh, as if you remember last week, we talked about uh, the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, one of the uh, commentators says that the reason why God acted so harshly towards them is precisely because of the cultural uh, ambient, or how you call it, environment of, of that time. People were suffering so much, and there was so much injustice, and people were taken advantage of, that the fact that two people who called themselves Christians were acting in the same way was very infuriating. So this is the context of where we are in Jerusalem. So we have a comment here that if you caught it, it's important for us today. And it's in verse 13. that says that the people, meaning the people of Jerusalem, held the apostles, held them, the believers, in high esteem. I want to talk about, I'm not going to talk about miracles. We already talked about that. That's mostly what happens in this text. But what I want to talk about is, is the fact that if we look at what's happening up to this point, and we will see this happening again, the church is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, but there's other things that follow with that. It's almost, there's, there's consequences of preaching the gospel that are inseparable of the mission of the church or preaching the gospel. And two of those is precisely the sharing of goods, generosity, and the other one was the meeting of physical needs. We will see this often. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2, when, this, when the, uh, the Spirit falls on the believers, the first thing they do is they start speaking. Remember? They start talking other languages. And then people gather. They preach the gospel. People repent. They convert. They're baptized. And guess what happens? After that, they become a community. And they start sharing goods as well. And then as they do life, they heal a crippled man, and then it happens again. A, a crowd gathers, they preach the gospel, and then Luke tells us again, and they had everything in common, and they shared their possessions. And now we are reminded again, and they also healed people. So there's this, again, this pattern of proclamation of the gospel, followed by this love that shares everything, and then also this, this uh, ability to bring change and influence and good to the city by providing health. This is what we see. And these three elements, and many more, are known in, in certain theological circles as integral mission, integral mission. And integral mission is something that is... Uh, let me just read the definition of what integral mission is. In summary, it's basically the church not focusing only on verbal proclamation of the gospel. We're not just people who talk. We are people who act accordingly. So this is the definition of integral mission as defined uh, by the Lausanne Covenant. And if you're not familiar with the Lausanne movement, I encourage you to look it up. And just so you'll know, three figures that were... Uh, Important in this movement are John Stott, René Padilla, and Samuel Escobar. And this is the definition of the Lausanne Covenant for Integral Mission. It says, it's the task of bringing the whole of life under the lordship of Jesus Christ and includes the affirmation that there is no biblical dichotomy between evangelistic and social responsibility. 
in bringing Christ's peace to the poor and oppressed. This was further clarified as the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel, emphasizing that it's not only simply the issue of evangelism and social involvement being done alongside each other, but rather that our proclamation has social consequences as we call people to love and repentance in all areas of life, and that our social involvement has evangelistic consequences as we bear witness to the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. As we arrive in this section, we actually see this happening. The fact that they proclaim the gospel verbally carries consequences that makes their mission an integral mission. They, they not only care for the spiritual needs of the people, they also care for the material, financial needs of the people, and also their physical needs, their healings and, 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 and their sicknesses. People that are possessed by demons are delivered, and many signs and wonders are done by the church. And I would like for us to focus today on that. What is it that the church has that the society needs? And I would argue that as a church, we have a lot of power, and we have the ability to bless our community in big ways. The early church was huge blessing to all the people in Jerusalem. In fact, if you remember, one of the reasons why the authorities did not want to punish the apostles was because they feared the people. Remember that in chapter 3? They feared the people because the people liked the apostles. Why did the people like this new movement? Because they were a blessing to them. Because they not only proclaimed this new message of hope, but they also did it with actions. It wasn't just something that they spoke their entire life was one of love for others. So integral mission, as is defined by the La Sun Covenant, is, is exactly what we see here. It's what the book of Acts demonstrates. is that the church is called to do holistic or integral mission. And if you think of this, as Christians, we are representatives of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes to one of the most troubled churches in the New Testament, and it's the Corinthian church. Uh, he writes two letters, and both letters are pretty intense. But in his second letter, Paul tells this to the Corinthians. And you might be familiar with the first part of this section, but listen to what Paul says later. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20. He says, Therefore, and you probably know this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Anyone else here? Is anyone here a new creation? If you're a believer, that's you. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are being entrusted. We have been entrusted the message of reconciliation, which is the message of the gospel. Listen to this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for who? For Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We Christians are ambassadors of Christ. We rep represent Jesus everywhere we go. That's what an ambassador does. Right? He goes to another country, and he's a representative of that country in a different place. We are ambassadors of Christ. Everywhere we step in, we represent Christ. And not only that, we are also, 
Jesus' body on earth. So whatever Jesus started, we are continuing. And I've already said this before. Luke splits his books or he splits his, um, his accounts in two books. The first one is about Jesus, and the second is about how the Spirit moves through the church. It's a, it's a continuation. It's all one, one topic. It's all one line. It's all one history. We are representatives of Jesus. And as representatives of Jesus, we are supposed to do what Jesus did. Question, real quick. Has anybody here seen the show The Chosen? No? A few. Okay. Well, I highly recommend it. Uh, but there's a scene that almost made me cry. There's several. There's been several ones, and I, I'm... I cry a lot in those movies, in, in those things. And there's one that impacted me because it's about Luke 4. And Luke 4 accounts or recounts how Jesus went back to Nazareth, his town. And then he goes into the synagogue and then he starts preaching. from. Uh, and, and somebody hands him a scroll. He chooses the, the, the scroll of Isaiah. And he starts reading. And then he reads this portion. And Luke 4 says it. And it's, he's, he's reading Isaiah 62. And this is the portion that Jesus reads, and, and he reads it in the, in the Chosen. And it says, the spirit, of the, Lord is, the, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus closes the scroll and tells everyone, today, this has been fulfilled before you. And they get enraged and want to stone him. And it's amazing what happens later. But th this, is th this is what I want to point out to us. This scripture of Isaiah 61 that was fulfilled in Jesus continues in us. We are a continuation of Jesus' work on earth. We are also people that have been anointed by the Spirit. And if you look at the book of Acts, this is exactly word by, word by word what is happening. The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me. Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Spirit falls on these people. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. What is the first thing that happens after the Spirit falls on the, on the apostles? They bring the gospel. Peter stands up and preaches to the Pentecost people and 3,000 people become Christians to bring good news to the poor. And then they start delivering the, the, the captive, proclaiming liberty to the captives, healing the brokenhearted. This is just, again, all of us as a church continuing the ministry of Jesus. This is exactly what the church is supposed to do. And this is not a new thing. This is not progressive Christianity. This is not something that's only in the Old Testament. In fact, if you read the Old, the Old Testament, you will soon realize that one of the things that the um, prophets had to do is constantly remind Israel of this same issue. Isaiah 1, one of the biggest prophets we have in the entire church, in the entire uh, Bible, tells Isaiah tells the entire congregation, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, 
plead the widow's cause. And Isaiah says, God is tired of your, of your celebrations and your sacrifices. The, ver the, the verse previous to this actually says, stop your evil deeds. Then the famous Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is what this church is doing. And of course, the people of Jerusalem love them. Because this is a church that's not only preaching this awesome message of hope for people's lives, but they're also providing for their needs and healing them. Would you like to be a part of something like that? I would love to. That's who we are supposed to be. Tim Keller says this about uh, he has an article on, on, on Christianity and the poor. He says, Jesus teaches that anyone who has truly been touched by the grace of a merciful God will be vigorous in helping the needy. God will judge whether we have justi justifying faith or not by looking at our service to the poor, the refugee, the sick, the prisoner. This is, he's referencing Matthew 25. Jesus in his incarnation moved in with the poor. He lived with, ate with, and associated with the lowest class of society, and he called this mercy. The Bible demands that we emulate him in it. This is what the church was doing regularly. Verse 12 actually makes sure that we hear this was something that they did regularly. This was not a one-time event. They didn't plan all year for this one time when they did a co-drive so that they can feel good about themselves. It was done regularly. They proclaimed the gospel verbally. They met the physical needs of the people through miracles and healings, and they provided for the material and financial needs of the people sacrificially. Was this easy for them? No. Was this just out of their abundance? No. It was sacrificial. It was out of love that they did this. Another interesting thing is that integral mission happens everywhere. If you notice, uh, throughout the book of Acts, we've seen uh, they are ministering and doing life uh, in houses. They were, uh, in this text, they were in the portico of Solomon, which is what was a, a common place for Christians. And also Jesus did a lot of miracles, and, and he taught in that same portico several times. So this was a public place. They were not only in, the ha in their houses, they were in the temple, they were in public places. And now they're on the streets. People from other towns around Jerusalem hear that this is happening and they bring their sick and we're not told exactly what happened. And I want to make that clear. Some people infer that the, the, the shadow of Peter healed them, but we are just told the text only says that they wanted the shadow of Peter to pass through them. Now, we have a, a certain uh, a precedent to say that Paul did something similar, and people used to touch his, his uh, garments to, to, to get healing, and also Jesus. But anyway, so they, were, they, they brought their people to, to the streets, and they wanted uh, to be healed in the streets. So the ministry of the church, this integral mission happened in all places. And we are in the best position as a church to do that. Why? 
because we have the huge blessing of not having a building. Yes, I just said that. We have the huge blessing of not having a building. Why? Because this reminds us that we are not a building, that we are not supposed to do things in the building. The church is you. And our church meets in Gainesville, Manassas Park, Manassas, and there's some of us that live in Sterling that we're part of the church. This is a church. We are the church. We're everywhere. Our ministry isn't on the streets, in our houses, in the church, at Baldwin, everywhere. New City Fellowship is not a building, and that is good. And it also allows us to utilize our resources for other things rather than paying a mortgage and AC and maintenance. If we ever get a building, praise God. But that's not the point. We are supposed to be doing ministry, integral mission, everywhere. I remember this clearly because Angel told us a story that he was walking one day. I don't know if it was a Krispy Kreme or a Dunkin' Donuts. What was it? Dunkin' Donuts. There you go. I'm, I'm a Krispy Kreme fan, so. Um, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, so I... He was, he was telling that he, he walked on a, a, to a Dunkin' Donuts and, and God moved him to talk to this uh, girl, but he was hesitant about it and then he didn't want to and then he started dealing with God. If, if this happens, then I'll talk to her and, and whatever he said happened. So he finally talked to this girl and apparently she was going to take her life. And so what I want to say is ministry happens everywhere. As a church, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are little Christ going everywhere. We're driving to places. We're going into stores. We have appointments at the doctor. We sit next to people we don't know. We have neighbors on the street. That's all ministry. That's what we do. It's integral. We don't have this uh, quadricular, uh, I don't know if that's a word, like sectioned uh, life where this is my Christianity and this is my work and this is my family. No, it's all connected. Christ Jesus is the Lord of our life. He takes over our entire life. Christianity is not a side thing that you have privately here. No, it's supposed to permeate everything you do. How you walk, how you talk, who you talk to, why you talk to them. It moves you. It, the Spirit is pushing you to places. God places you in different scenarios at different times, in different areas with a purpose. You are not there wherever you are this coming week by accident. No. We are ambassadors for Christ. If Christ is your Lord, he is putting you in places with a purpose. And you cannot section your Christianity to like, this is not time for me to talk about Christ. No, no, no. It is. The church grows in influence everywhere. To the point that people around Jerusalem started noticing. Peruvian theologian Darío López says this. This passage emphasizes the fact that Christian testimony had a geographic reach beyond the borders of Jerusalem, the political, cultural, and religious center of the Jewish people. It also demonstrates its social repercussions in matter of health and freedom. In other words, more than a private or restricted testimony, it was one that produced a deep impact in its society at the time, penetrating different social spaces and bringing liberty to the socially despised of the time, like the crippled, the sick, and the demon-possessed. That was the church. It happened everywhere. But I also want to point out that this is difficult to do. 
and I want to acknowledge that. Is it easy to do? No, it's not. And if you notice, people were afraid of getting closer to them. They were at the portico of Solomon, and people didn't want to join them because it was dangerous to be a Christian back then. If there's one thing you can clearly see in the book of Acts is it is very dangerous to be a Christian. You can literally title the entire book of Acts like that. Or warning, do not become a Christian. You see them go through hell and back. And that's how Christianity is. And I'm sorry, this, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm probably the worst uh, seller. But Christianity is not a come to Jesus and everything is going to be fine. No. <laughs> sorry, Patrick. <laughs> it is a come to Jesus and everything will be all right later. And he will help you feel really good and experience things that are amazing right now, too. But in the meantime, it's really hard. As we've already seen, they were mocked. They were uh, arrested. They were threatened. And it's just going to keep on going. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be stoned. And they're going to be decapitated and crucified backwards and burned alive. And it's just going to keep going. Integral mission, or mission in general, is hard. And it's dangerous. But it's worth it. And Jesus told us. Jesus, in fact, said, it is blessed. It is a blessing. In Matthew 5, it is a blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for you, your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And it will not only be dangerous because of perse persecution, it will also be very hard and uncomfortable. Living on mission is going to ruin your plans. It's going to make you spend money you don't have or erase your budget. And it will take a lot of time, especially if you do it like the book of Acts is doing it. The book of Acts is not charity. The book of Acts doesn't talk about you giving a, a, a coin to a guy on the street. That's not necessarily what's happening here. These are people that are engaging all the way into the society. They're going all in. They're opening their houses and letting people in. They're spending their money on people, like big chunks of money on people. They're, they're living along with people that are not like them. And this is hard. Walking with people is hard. Getting into people's lives is hard. It's really hard. It's really messy. I want to share two things, a comical and a not-so-comical one. I had the blessing of getting to know Orlando and Francisca. They come every morning, and they put the chairs for us, and then when we leave, they come and clean and take the chairs back. And as you know, Francisca's daughter, Anai, just passed away from cancer. Uh, I went to the um, viewing yesterday. And it was so hard 
to be there. I was telling my wife, I don't want to go. I know I'm a pastor. I know I should care for people, but I know it's going to be uncomfortable. How do you stand in front of a mom who just lost such a young daughter? And I was making a line. It was a very Mexican viewing. There was mariachi playing. It was, it was awesome. There was some amazing food, but it was so hard. There was a line, and we were just waiting to see the body. It's an open casket viewing, and it's just so difficult. And then while we were there, we see Francisca just, like, put her hands on the casket and look at her daughter and start shaking. And I'm like, I, I don't want to get close to that. It's just so hard. What am I going to tell her? How, how am I going to engage in this? But th this is what we're called to do. That's, that's Christianity. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about how I feel. It's just the fact that I can just be there and give her a hug and say I'm sorry. That's all we need to do. We're not to fix people. We're not here to fix anybody. We're, we're all limping together. And the only one who will heal us is Jesus. We're just sharing the solution with others. But it's hard. It would be easier for me to come here, don't talk to anybody and say, oh, well, this is just a transactional thing. I'm here to preach the gospel to New City Fellowship, and I'm not going to get engaged with anybody. That would be easier. It will be easier to just send a donation. It will be way easier. And that's what sometimes we're used to doing because mission, living on mission is hard. It's difficult. I'm not going to say the comic call. It's just kind of weird. Um, not only will it be difficult because it's hard and uncomfortable, it's also something that will expose you to negativity around you. There's something about helping others that people don't like, and it makes no sense. But especially today, in 2023, in Northern Virginia, if you are someone who talks about justice and mercy, you will be categorized, especially in Christian circles. That's what happened to me. The moment I started talking about this issue, I unknowingly became a Marxist and woke. And I was like, wait, what? What did I do? Yeah, yeah, you're quoting verses from the Bible that are woke and Marxist. I'm like, okay, I didn't know that. And then it becomes political, especially around here. It's so political. Everything is about politics. I didn't know that I was a Democrat. I was like, wow, okay, I haven't really signed up for this. but And it's just so confusing in so many ways. But this is not new. This is how it's always been. There was a civil war in El Salvador in the 80s. And somebody interviewed uh, the Archbishop, Archbishop Oscar Romero from El Salvador. And they asked him, would you take over, would you lead a rebellion? This is, this is what he responded. And it's right on point. He said, it would be an absurdity. The church is not on earth for that. The church is not here to captain an army or to carry on a revolution, but to, the, but to be the mother of unity. It remains autonomous between two parties that struggle in order to be able to say to each what is just and what is unjust. 
And where there are sins of warfare, to be able to oppose that must not be done even in situations of conflict. The church wants to be always the voice of Christ, the bread that comes down from heaven for the life, for the light, for the salvation of the world. That's our job as a church. So you'll be categorized by, by doing integral mission and because you start talking about these other issues. But it's the, I just want to remind you, please do not make that mistake and do not drink that pill. This is not a Republican or Democratic issue. This is not an independent issue. This is not a Marxist versus capitalist. This is not an ideological issue. This is a Bible issue. The Bible pushes us to love the poor and to love the stranger and to feed the needy and to preach the word. Those are biblical commands. And it's not a progressive. This is not for the church today. Let me, let me read you a quote from a Scottish pastor, Robert, Robert Murray McChain, McChain. I think it's how you say his name. And he is talking to a congregation in Scotland in 1838. And this is what he reads. He tells them, I fear there are some Christians among you to whom Christ cannot say, well done, good and faithful servant. Your, your haughty dwelling rises. Thousands have scarce of fire to warm themselves at and have little, but little clothing to keep out of the biting frost. And yet you never darken their door. You have a sigh perhaps at a distance, but you do not visit them. Oh, my dear friends, I am concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. You seem to be Christians, and yet you care not for his poor. Oh, what a change will pass upon you as you enter the gates of heaven. You will be saved, but that will be all. There will be no abundant entrance for you. He that soweth sparingly will, will reap also sparingly. I fear there are many hearing me now who, know, uh, who now know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly. For I can tell you, you will be beggars through eternity. This is 1838. It's not a new thing. And the church continues to struggle every single day to be compassionate and gracious to the poor. One of my challenges in writing this sermon was adding quotes. <laughs> because we, this is not new. There's quotes from everywhere, theologians from all kinds of places. It's, it's, a hu it's human nature, human sinful nature to get busy with yourself, with your internal needs, with your problems, with your doctrine, with your theology. Everything is inside towards me, towards my needs. And sometimes we feel justified because we're doing good things. But the reality is that Christianity is not only that. Christianity pushes you out of yourself. We are called to bless others around us out of love. Everything I just said is not out of checking a box. It's out of love because, because of our message. That is our message. Our message says God loves you so much that he blesses you in every way. 
We have a God who created us the way we are. He, he put feelings inside of you, that excitement you feel, that emotion, that thing that lights up your face. God created it for you. And that thing that makes you cry and is so painful also is part of what God created. He gave us feelings. He gave us relationships. He gave us nature. He gave us art. All of that is part of God's creation and he wants it for us. And he blesses us. We can even make art with our food. Animals just chew with dirt and everything and hairs and all that stuff. It's just we have the ability to craft and slice and add and combine and it's just beautiful and God created that. That's part of who God made us to be. And that is part of the gospel. This is what God is doing in us. He is not a God that's just sitting in a throne waiting for you to become just morally right. That's not all there is. He loves our relationships. He loves our kids. He loves our children. He loves our, our He loves us in every way. And somehow the church has divided this idea that Christianity is only this spiritual thing that we do here. And it's not. It's, it, it has to do with the whole of us. The gospel not only brings spiritual, amazing truths, it also brings physical and emotional and relational healing. The gospel is beautiful in every way. Jesus became a human. Jesus was incarnated. And he did it in a way to identify with the least of these. Out of this love, out of the fact that God loves us and that he's restoring all things. Romans 8 says that even creation is growing, groaning. Everything, nature, our feelings, our relationships, our finances, our body, our mind, everything is being renewed through the gospel and through Jesus coming. He loves us so, so much. He's our good dad. Are you a dad here? Do you love your kids in one way or in all ways? Do you provide food, clothing, fun, education? Is that what we do for our kids? Yes. That's what we do for And that's, that's the kind of, we have a God that's way better than us as a father. He's perfect. He's compassionate. He wants the best for us. And he's willing to die for us. He died for us. He knew we were not going to make it on our own. So he goes to the cross for us. He sends his son Jesus to die for us. To do what we could not do. That is the gospel. And he, he teaches us how to heal our relationships, how to heal our traumas, how to, how to forgive people who have abused us, how to, how to get past uh, pains and sufferings that we've experienced. This is the beauty of the gospel. It encompasses everything. But then it also bleeds into others. And we should do the same with our neighbors. We should do the same with our coworkers. We should do the same with the people in our schools. We should do the same with the people at the store. We should do the, the same with everyone around us. Because the gospel cannot be contained. It just bleeds into people. 
If you're not a believer here, I want to tell you that the message that I'm speaking about, the message of the gospel is not just so that you can be morally right. The message of the gospel is not only so that you can get your act together. That's not the entire point of the gospel. What God wants is to have you back, all of you. He wants you back to him. But there's an issue. There's something that's separating you from him, and it's sin. And we are not going to be able to overcome it on our own. So he sends Jesus to break that door open to conquer sin and death on the cross. And because of that, he opens the door for us to come to him. But we have to accept that. We have to believe that. We have to repent from living our lives on our own terms and come to Jesus and experience everything that we have. Peace and love and hope and blessings. Not only for us, but for everyone around us and for our whole being. And I want to invite you, if you're not a believer, to come to Jesus and to give your life to him. There is really no hope without him. How do we apply this? What do we do with this as Christians? I want to challenge us all as people of the gospel to practice this more intentionally. This church, as long as I'm here, will never have an evangelism department. The evangelism department, it's called you. The evangelism department and the mercy department, it's you. What are we as a church in Gainesville, in Manassas Park, in Sterling, in, in, in everywhere around us, Bristow, am I missing anyone? Everywhere. What are we doing for the people around us? How is our church as one body blessing the people around us? What is up with your neighbor? What is up with your coworker? How has Jesus placed you in that place to you, for you to be a blessing to them? Is it, a, is it a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of this earth. We are to be generous. We are to listen to people. We're to preach the gospel. That's what we want to be. Open your house. Get to know the people around you. See the needs. Try to meet the needs. Go beyond your comfort. Do things that are uncomfortable to you on purpose. Be willing to sacrifice everything in the way that Jesus sacrificed himself for you. We have, given, we have been given much. Therefore, we give much. Let's pray. Please stand up with me. As a church, we can be a blessing to our community. Dear Jesus, we thank you because you are a good God. Thank you because you are someone, a, a father, our dad, who cares for all of us. Thank you because you provide. We can, we can come to you when we have you know, dumb needs sometimes. And you, lo you love us. You hear us. You, you provide for our physical needs. You provide for uh, whenever we're sick, when we have a flat tire, when we need a doctor, when we have an issue with our mom or our brother or our son or daughter. You are a good God who cares for us in every way. You are our Father. You're not a faraway God who expects us to be morally right. You have done all of that through Jesus. 
And now out of his love for you, realize how accepted and how loved and how welcomed and how embraced we are by you. And Lord, I pray that out of that understanding, we would do the same with others. That we would love you and love the people around us as much as we love ourselves. Lord, I pray for us as a church. Help us sacrifice our comfort, our money, our reputation, everything for the sake of serving you and serving the people around us. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.